Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome. To stupidity, home of the greatest media mind ever to walk the planet. Okay, so here's the deal. He's a true icon in every sense of the word. He's loved and feared more than any being to grace this planet. There's two guys. Is it? Hey, a man with a voice that sounds like Barry White and Beyonce had a Jewish baby. God himself would pay $39.99 for a cameo. Fact of the matter is, you are about to embark on a transcendent experience that can only be described as psychological nudity. This is Stu Goss, and this is Stupidity. Here we go, Jim. God bless Stupidity, Billy. Why? Why are you starting know. like this? <laughs> because I'm confused. I don't know what uh, I, I, I'm doing. So many podcasts. I don't know what I'm doing anymore, to be quite honest with you. I'm excited for you today, Stugatz. Why is that? Uh, because we're going to have on a guest that you have been teasing us behind the scenes with for about a month now in yeah. Mike Greenberg. So Greeny's going to join us today. Uh, and I and to be honest with you, I was a little bit I was a little bit worried for you. Because we've wanted Greeny on since the Aaron Rodgers situation with the Jets. Um, and at first it was, well, wait until he's on the Jets and then I'll go on. And then he said that he was going to be on the Jets, but he wasn't on the Jets. And he still wasn't on. And it's been a couple weeks since then. And, uh, you know, then he had a procedure and he's doing fine, thankfully. Uh, but I was getting worried because I think in the time that he's been telling you, well, let me just wait a little bit longer. He's been on McAfee like four times. So I was like, is Dugat just getting the runaround here? Uh, oh, so you feel like the friendship has waned a little bit. I right? was like, I'm like, right. I was a little worried. And if yeah. I'm going to be entirely honest, yeah. I was also a little worried that last week you got the old switcheroo because Hembo was on earlier this week and there was a conversation of let's have Hembo and Greeny on together and then mm-hmm. it became just Hembo and I was like, oh boy, this yeah. sounds like it's maybe a Stu Goss movie that was just pulled on Stu Goss. But we got Greeny today. 
I listen, I thought about it. I'm not gonna lie to you. Okay. Yeah. I, I was I was thinking about it. Does Greeny hate me? Wow. Um <laughs> but I am listen, I'm confident in my friendship with uh with Mike Greenberg and uh it's Masters Week. Really the truth is what Greeny and I were trying to do is wait for the Jets to make it official with Aaron Rodgers and then we can celebrate and talk about it. But we realized that day hasn't come yet, and it may never come. May never, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so we just decided, hey, let's do it. We'll talk about it. I've been telling Greeny I'm disappointed in him for celebrating prematurely because the Rodgers thing, as I told you guys the day you wanted me to celebrate on Howard's show, I'm not celebrating shit until he does it in front of a Jets podium at the Jets facility with a Jets hat on, and he has yet to do that. And so... Uh, but we do get greedy today. I am excited about that. And we get Andy Roddick. I mean, <laughs> we do get Andy Roddick. That's going to be a fun interview. You did great. <laughs> MVP of that interview. We'll get to that one later. Okay. <laughs> Greedy's got a new book out with Hembo. We had um, uh, Hembo on earlier this week, and Billy is right. Uh, Mikey A and I were doing Hembo, and I'm thinking this is going to be it. Like, not that Hembo's done enough, he was fantastic. But, you know, Hembo, for me, and I hope he doesn't take this the wrong the wrong way. He's not going to hear this. Don't worry he was, about it. He was a bridge to Greedy. <laughs> wow. 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 Didn't you call up the top three producer you've ever had? I did. Yeah. There's 40 yeah. people bridge on that list. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> let's, get to, uh, let's get to my friend, I think, Mike Greenberg, and talk about his new book, The Jets and the Masters. Stu Gatz here for my friends over at Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So, what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. I have been enjoying ice-cold Miller Lights for as long as I can remember. In fact, I enjoyed some over the weekend. As the Knicks beat the Sixers in advance of the second round, me and my friends, we sat around, we celebrated. With ice-cold Miller Lights, what did we do? We made fun of Joel Embiid. Oh, I love it. The Knicks. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Mike, we were debating right before you came on uh, whether or not you're, I believe you're a Yankee fan, right? Yes. You are. How do you feel? Because Billy and I have been advocates of... Uh, speeding up the game, making the game more entertaining. We thought that's what we wanted until we arrived at the uh, faster games. Um, baseball, it needs to slow down just a little bit. Now, I'll give you an example. There was a 110 start today. You and I are taping this at 2.20 p.m. Eastern. That game that started at 110 is already in the seventh inning. I mean, can we slow it down just a little bit, Mike? Well, no. The answer to that is no, we should not slow it down a little bit. Um, the answer is those will be few and far between. But when the traditionalist fans of baseball say the beauty of the sport is that it is untimed, that is the reality. The game ends when someone has recorded 27 outs. The, 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 the untimed nature of it never referred to 
a pitch clock or any other sort of device that monitors the pace of play. The pace of play should not slow down. We do not live in a slow-paced society, and we do not live in one that is going to slow down from here. We live in a fast-paced society that is only going to get faster from here. So the fact that you don't have anything else to do in your life but sit there and watch that game is not a good reason for them to slow it down because most other people do. Mm. Billy, how do you feel about that response? Uh, You know. (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't know. How do you feel about it? I mean, obviously, they're not going to sit on baseball just because you think it's moving too fast. But <laughs> I feel like, Mike, how about this? Take try, try this take on for size. I feel like now prices for tickets are higher than they've ever been, but we're getting baseball in two-thirds the amount of time it was before. I feel like maybe we should lower prices. Well, you're getting the same amount of baseball, however. Nah. You're just getting it without all of the – I mean, so let me ask you a question, Billy. Yeah. Do you miss people scratching themselves and spitting? Because that is <laughs> primarily what it is that has been eliminated from the experience. Um, you know, let's just say this. This is the first time in my lifetime that I've ever had anyone suggest to me that something would be better if it involved <laughs> the wasting of a lot of time yeah. in the midst of it. Like, generally speaking, we're trying to trim the fat on everything. Efficiency is the new buzzword in sports. I think we miss the ability to not miss anything, if that makes sense. Where now, Mm -hmm. it's easy to miss things. Where before, it's like, "Ah, I could go out, I could paint a room in my house, come back, and only an inning has gone by. You know what I mean? Nothing. I haven't missed anything. See, now they're doing something you actually have to pay attention to, as opposed to the the elevator music that it essentially has been for the longest time. It's just been like that channel on Pandora that you put on so something is playing in the background while you're doing some work on your laptop. It won't interfere with anything else you're doing, but it's just nice to have something so it's not silent. That's what baseball was. That's a terrible description of an entertainment vehicle. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I understand where you're coming from, but overall, I think you're going to find very, my guess is you're going to find very little support for this. It's the one thing, Mike, like everyone's so rushed these days and you've got to get from point A to point B. That was the one sport where, you know what? You go there, you hang with your parents. If the game takes five hours, it takes five hours. And yeah. now we've taken that away, you know? Yeah, but again, that's You're right. for You're right, old Mike. people <laughs> like us. Yes. Um, you know, you and I, Stu, we, we have kids the same age. Uh, they're, they're not, they don't have five hours. Well, let's start, let's start with this. They definitely don't want to spend five hours with their parents. And frankly, they don't want to spend five hours doing anything. So it's one thing for, you know, all of us who are very, very rapidly fading away into oblivion to say, you know, I got a lot of time to kill. But most people who are going to inherit the world do not. Uh, you're right. Listen, I took my daughters to a baseball game years ago, City Field, and uh, the most entertaining thing at the game had nothing to do with what was going on on the field. They hated it. <laughs> they couldn't stand it. And so, so when we were I, gone when in I the third the inning, and now they love game, it. I, I told them, all right, guys, we're going to put our phones away, and we're going to watch, and we're going to have, you know, we're going to get into the game, and we're not going to have no phones today, guys. We're not going to, you know, because you know yeah. what it's like when they're teenagers. I don't remember exactly how old they were, maybe like 
13 and 11, something like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, all right, guys, come on. This is going to be no phones here. Well, let's sit. Let's watch. Let's pay attention. Let's have a fun day. Second inning. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, fine. Take your phones. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> right. You can only entertain them so long. <laughs> I can't argue for this. Like, I, right. I can't argue in favor right. of this is compelling enough that it, it, it demands you're paying any more attention to it than you want to. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the game is better. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just getting better. Here's what I will say. Not that this should be your concern, and it isn't mine, but the, I think that the level of interest in it as, as measured by all of the measurables is going to skyrocket as a result of this. Agreed, yeah. Uh, Mike Greenberg has a new book out, Got Your Number. We had Hembo on earlier this week. He's fantastic. I love how much he's grown up. He's very confident now. Um, And it's interesting that Hembo allowed you to attach your name to his book. And so I'm wondering here, Mike, why did you just – it's your first sports book, which I was surprised to to realize once you pointed that out. But why did you guys decide to write this book? I'm glad you did. Why did you guys decide to write it? So the reason I've never written a sports book before, very simply, is that I never had a good enough idea. Like, you know, you've been doing radio like me for whatever it is, 30 years. Mm-hmm. You need a good a good radio idea, something that'll fill, you know, roughly five minutes. A good book idea is something that requires a lot more than that. And I just never had one. And then one day we're sitting around doing the after the get up show we're, we're the group of us who work on the show, we're sitting around. And because we're just a bunch of sports nerds, the conversation started. You'll appreciate this too, guys. Maybe no one else on planet Earth will. <laughs> with We decided to see if we could name the place kicker on every NFL team in 1977. I and I'm embarrassed either. to admit we did it. Um, and, and then we started talking about how many Hall of Fame quarterbacks all wore the jersey number 12. It started with Namath, and I'd like to think that all these guys chose 12 because Namath was 12 and he was such an icon. But then, you know, it led to Bob Greasy, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, uh, Ken Stabler, um, Jim Kelly, and, and eventually Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. They all wear 12 and they'll all be in the Hall of Fame. And one of the people in the room said to me, yeah, Greeny, they all wore 12, but which one of them owns 12? And it was like a light bulb went off over my head. I said, oh, my God, there's the idea. And so I called Hembo because he's been doing research, you know, on my shows forever. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I could have done this without him. And so we got together and we started the process of deciding who owns every number from one to 100. And I re- immediately had the idea, I'll write up all these chapters and you'll give me all this outstanding research. Now, the first thing, the first problem I realized we had when we sat down the first time was, because in my mind, this was just going to be uniform numbers. But the first problem I realized we had was, I'm about to write a book about the greatest sports legends in history and not include Muhammad Ali and Serena Williams and, you know, <laughs> Billie Jean King and Tiger Michael Woods Phelps and yeah. Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus. And I was like, well, this this is not that. So we tried to come up with creative. We we deter, we determined a creative way to include all athletes. And so I really think it does have the feel i hope it has the feel of sort of a definitive list sort of the list of record of who owns all of these numbers from one to a hundred and hembo did unbelievable research so what i guarantee you is that even someone who knows as much about sports as you do this is the promise i'm making is that if you read the book each chapter is like two to three pages they're little snackable chapters 
at least 100 times while you're reading this book. So at least once per chapter, you will say, wow, I did not know that. And, and that, that I think is, is a, it's a testament to the work that Hembo did more than anything. It's a, uh, it's a great idea. Those are my kind of chapters, short ones. I like that. Uh, I'm assuming Tom Brady got 12, right? I'm assuming that's he what he landed on. I mean, on. look, if yes. it was the list of my favorite number tw- numbers in sports, then obviously Namath would be 12. But some of them were, uh, look, 3, 12, 23, 42, 99. Those didn't require a lot of time and consideration. Right. What's the number you got stuck on? So there's some tough ones. So have you seen it? Do you know the list or can I bounce some of these off? Of you? No, you can bounce. Some. I, okay. Hembo gave us a couple, uh, but feel free to bounce a few off of us and we'll, uh, right. we'll, we'll have at it. Is 32 Jim Brown, Magic Johnson, Sandy Koufax. Okay. Hmm. You could throw, I mean, I'm giving away the fact that it isn't some of the other people, but there are other greats like OJ Simpson, but those were really the three that we seriously considered. So I'll say Koufax, while he was great, only did it, you know, it was a seven to nine year run, I believe. Uh, but some people will maintain, my dad being one of them, that Koufax is the greatest pitcher he's ever seen, period, end of discussion. Like, <laughs> you know, you know how it is with dads. Like, once he's settled in, he is settled mm-hmm. in. For sure. Uh, Jim Brown, greatest football player ever, top five lacrosse player of all time, not the greatest. Um, and so I, therefore I would say magic, like magic would be for me, that would be, that would be magic Johnson. What? Right. So there you go. So, I mean, that's my point. Yeah. That's the beauty of this is there is a debate. I love we chose, it. We, we chose Jim Brown, um, Jim, all three athletes I just named, by the way, had careers that were shortened under different circumstances. Koufax's career was shortened because he couldn't lift his arm up anymore. Jim Brown just retired prematurely before he was 30 years old to go make movies and do work in activism. Magic Johnson, of course, retired prematurely because he he contracted HIV and then did make a a short-lived comeback, but certainly it wasn't the same ever again. But when we went through it, and this was one of the hardest decisions that we had to make, but let me just flip to the chapter. I mean, there's some stuff on Jim Brown, and this is not to diminish magic, but I think Jim Brown is the greatest football player that have lived. I, I, I think that he is number one. Jim Brown was the MVP of the NFL in his rookie season. He's still the only rookie ever to do so. He remains the only non-quarterback to win MVP more than once. Um, he remains the only running back to average over 100 yards rushing per game for his career. He is the all-time leader in scrimmage yards per game. If you extrapolated his numbers, uh, his average career numbers over a 17-game season, for his career, he would have averaged 1,773 yards rushing per season. Um, Had he played a a full span of career, there would be no debate whatsoever that he's the greatest football player that ever lived. And so in what was a very tough one, we went there. Let me give you another one. Okay. 21. All right. 21 is Tim Duncan. No. Dion. (laughs) Roberto Clemente. All right, so all right, Billy, help me out here. Mikey A, help me out. Uh, Duncan Clemente, and who was the second one there, Mike? Dion. Dion Sanders. Oh wow, number twenty-one. Uh, Billy's gonna say no one. Duncan. I think it's uh, Clemente. It's not Tim Duncan. It can't, Mike. It can't have been. Clemente is one of the all-time greats. Duncan, what five championships? I think five. Yes. Uh, Mr. Bunny should have had six against the Heat. We remember that. Um, would have back-to-back there. 
Uh, six, man. Think about that. Duncan, I mean, Duncan's as close to Jordan as anybody. Um, it's unbelievable. And no one considers him. And then Deion Sanders, who I think is the greatest athlete I've ever seen. Um, God, you play in an NFL game and then get in a plane and play in a World Series game or an ALCS or NLCS. I forget what it was. I think he had, I think he had three hits in that game. It was the World uh, Series. Yeah, World Series. Uh, Billy, who are you going with? I think it's Clemente. Mike, yeah, you going Clemente? Um, I was going to go Paul O'Neill, but you know what? I think I'm, I'm going to go Dion. <laughs> He's such a dope. <laughs> uh, I would the say. Warrior. I think it's going to be Duncan, but I probably I go Dion, Mike. So that's interesting. So the answer that we came up with, the, the, the ownership of that number we gave to Roberto Clemente, and I'm going to tell you why. Because what I decided was, Clemente's career, Duncan's career, and Dion's career. Let's say there's not enough difference between the three of them to, to just say, okay, one is the best. Dion was about as good as you could be. Duncan was about as good as you could be. And Clemente was about as good as you can be. What separates them for me is that Roberto Clemente is inarguably one of the five most important baseball players that ever lived. One of the five most important people in baseball history. I don't know how many people know this because it's just not nearly as publicized. Everyone knows the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award in the National Football League. I don't know that that many people know that the baseball's humanitarian award every single year is given to the recipient of the Roberto Clemente Award to this day. His contribution to the growth of the sport in Latin America, not, not to mention how great a player he was, not to mention the circumstances of his death, delivering uh, supplies to war-torn Nicaragua, going down in a plane um, there, doing what he had done all of his life, which was make the world better and safer for people that he felt were marginalized and overlooked. That's what separated it. For me, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he was a greater player than Dion was or a greater player than Duncan was. You might even actually put those two this much ahead of him within their respective sports. But the difference wasn't this much. It wasn't enough to me to overcome the, the importance of um, Roberto Clemente to the sport. And so that is why we chose him. How did you handle athletes like Kobe and LeBron who have played with multiple numbers? So that, that's a great question. So uh, LeBron didn't get either of his numbers. The, the, the problem that LeBron had is that his numbers were 6 and 23. And 6 has been <laughs> retired across the sport in someone else's <laughs> honor. So it would be very hard to give him 6 over Bill Russell. And 23, 23, him right. 23. Right. 23 was... I mean, one of the, the two, easiest. one of the two or three easiest ones to decide. So we did find a number for LeBron. My, my initial reaction was to say, well, look, he didn't have the number, so he um, he's just not going to make the book. But here's what wound up happening. Steph Curry is in the book. Kevin Durant is in the book. I believe LeBron James is a greater player historically than either of them. And so... The book is about owning a number. It's not necessarily about your jersey number. Now, we decide when in doubt, give the people their jersey number, which is to say the greatest honor we could give a player was to give them their jersey number. But I did not think it would be reasonable to put a book out there of the greatest. Well, I mean, the, the name on the book is the greatest sports legends and the number they own. 
how do you do that book and have Kevin Durant and Steph Curry in it, but not LeBron? It didn't feel right to me. Um, and so we did, we did find a number for LeBron James, but he did not get either of his numbers. Kobe did get um, one of his two numbers. We gave him eight, as, as tough a choice as that was, over Cal Ripken, because his other number was 24. And, and, and the evenness with which his career was divided into eight and 24 was unbelievable. They're almost exactly the same. It was exactly half the number of years. He scored almost exactly the same number of points. It's amazing how equal his tenure as eight is to his tenure as 24. But 24 was also worn by Willie Mays, who a lot of people will make an argument is the greatest baseball player that ever lived. Um, And so I I felt good about that. We gave Mays 24 and we gave Kobe eight. I love this book. So what did you give LeBron? What was the number? What number did he get? So we started thinking through the numbers. And here's what I have always said about LeBron James. And I know that in Miami, there, there are, you know, there are hard feelings that have lingered over stuff. And, and, and that's not like hard feelings. We love the guy. He gave us the greatest four years. He built our studios. We're, we're good oh, with LeBron. Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah. I'm, you know, I know Pat Riley has, you know, hard feelings. Oh, with... please him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I know there are people. We didn't deserve who... LeBron down here, Mike. I mean, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I know there, let's put this. I know there are people who felt that he did not handle so artfully that departure. And okay. certainly his handling of his initial departure from Cleveland was, you know, a PR nightmare. It was, if that's the worst thing you ever do in your life, obviously you've led a pretty good life, but it was a a messy situation. It is my belief that LeBron James is the most picked apart immortal, the most criticized sports immortal of all time. And the primary reason for that, I believe, is that he is the first immortal of the social media era. He's the first true sports immortal whose career began in the era of sports media, uh, excuse me, in the era of, of um, social media. And um, that, I think, has led, it has changed the way sports are discussed, the way they are debated, the way the players are dissected, the way they are treated. I can tell you from firsthand experience, because I was there covering his career, that if Michael Jordan had been dissected, if his every waking moment had been dissected in the way that LeBron James's has been, Michael would have handled it 10,000 times worse <laughs> than Kevin Durant has. You think Durant fires back at people on, on, on Twitter? Michael Jordan would get mad at people who didn't actually say anything. So I, I, I believe that LeBron in the scheme of things is, um, I believe has been to some degree undervalued and underappreciated. And so in that respect we wound up giving him the number 84 which was the year he was born um because that wow. that i think signifies as much as anything um why he has been treated the way he was treated if you just picked up his career and moved it back 20 years if somehow he had his career 20 years before i think he would be viewed very differently than the way he is now all right feels like you shoehorn lebron in there i gotta be yeah, honest. a little bit yeah i understand what you did and why you did it i'm just saying and there's no 84s to argue so i mean you're good well but it, it feels like a shoehorn you know? but he felt better than that I, I did not feel let's put it this way if you do this book and you've got some of the the athletes that are in it and i'm just looking over the list and i mean there are some you know they're all all-time greats in their own right but LeBron James is an upper echelon all-time great, right? I mean, you're talking about the greatest player of his era, the greatest legend in American sports during his era, 
on everyone's list, a top five NBA player all time. And some people will argue that he's number one to do this book and not find a way to include him, I think would have just felt incomplete. All right. Uh, Your hope is, first off, the book's such a great idea because what you want is me to read it, me to have a discussion with my dad and us to disagree with you. Like that's ultimately what it, and that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Or to disagree with each other and for everyone to disagree. Like I, I went on a bunch, I'm doing, you know, a bunch of sports talk shows over the, you know, the course of this week and whatnot, promoting it. And what, my, my favorite thing that anyone said to me was this guy said to me, Greeny, thanks for all the content you're giving me during my dead times of year, because you could just pick up this ar- these arguments and have them anytime you want. Four is a great one. Mm. Four. Here we go, Billy. You're bringing people together by tearing them apart, Greeny. I love That's it. My yep, goal. This yep. is what I do. No, yeah, has- it's what me and Billy do too, and we love mm-hmm. you, and we're glad that you did it. Uh, number four is going to be interesting. I, I like, all right, give us the number fours here. Lou Gehrig, mm-hmm. Brett Favre, Bobby Orr. Oh, all right. So this is one of the ones Hembo did ask us. I'll let you know, but okay. but Billy was not here for Hembo. So so hold on. For the uh, record, Mike, he also did thirty two, and you yeah, forgot. yeah. But I played it well for him. You know that <laughs> I did. I played it off well. Billy Billy complimented me on the direct message there. Uh, I know Mikey is going Garrick because he's a Yankee fan. Uh, what were the other two choices? Bobby Brett Orr. Favre and Bobby Orr. Yeah, it it should be Garrick. I know you didn't go with Garrick, Billy. Who you really? Going wow, yeah. I would have gone with Garrick. He died, Mike. I mean, how do you? Well, everyone you go knows, against. It? Well, Billy, that's yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand his circumstances were different, and yes, that I think if you ask me, the hardest thing to do was to not give him number four because I think there's no question more people associate him with the number four than they do Bobby Orr. And there is no question that despite the fact that Lou Gehrig has been dead for 80 years and Bobby Orr is still alive, more people know of Lou Gehrig and the legend. He is inarguably the greater legend. But remember when I told you that when we were doing 21, I thought that the difference between the players was this. In this case, the difference between the players is bigger than that. Bobby Orr is the second greatest hockey player that ever lived. There's Wayne Gretzky and then there's Bobby Orr. It's not Mm -hmm. Mario Lemieux. It's not Mark Messier. It's not Gordie Howe. It, it, it is Bobby Orr and the numbers that that the research that you know, what I did was I these ones that were so tough to decide. I said, Hembo, I mean, let's go get some let's go get some numbers and figure out how we want to do this. I, I don't even know where to begin with Bobby Orr here. Bobby Orr, there are four major awards, right? Honors you can win in hockey. The Art Ross, the Hart, the Norris and the Conn Smythe trophies. He's the only player in history to win all four of them. He won all of them at least twice. One year, he won all four of them in the same year. Amazing. No, no, no one else has ever won all four of them in their career. He won all four of them in a year one time. But Bobby Orr is his stature as a player and the fact that he completely transformed the sport by doing what he did from his position. I just couldn't not give him the recognition that he deserved for his greatness. And, and, and just like anyone else, to leave Lou Gehrig out of this considering – everything yeah. was it was the single hardest thing i think that we had to do mike greenberg is with us got your number is the new book uh check him out get up of course and uh greedy hashtag greedy 10 to 12 espn radio billy go ahead you had something well i'm trying to figure out the way i think i'm on to how you play this game did you give wilt number 100 yes we did <laughs> we did give wilt number 100 look at so, you i love so this if, if i ask you 
what number do you associate Wilt Chamberlain with? 100. Uh, without question. Or yeah. 10,000. Yeah. That well, would be second. And that's his the next book. number would be third. <laughs> his uniform number would come well after both of those. I think if you ask, you know, 100 sports fans, what number did Wilt Chamberlain wear? I bet you less than half of them could tell you. If you ask Will, those, those same people, how many points did he score in a single game, which still is the record to this day, every one of them could tell you. So this one was le- that that choice was not about Wilt Chamberlain not deserving the number 13, which we did give to Dan Marino. Um, you could argue Chamberlain over Marino if you wanted to. That actually would have been a great debate, but we didn't sure. have to make it because I, we wanted to give Chamberlain 100. All right. Uh, and uh, listen, I think best case scenario is if a guy like LeBron reads the book and says, Greedy, what the hell are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> I don't want 84. I want, <laughs> I want my number, you know? Start arguing over the numbers. Well, if, if, if you want me to take away 23 from Michael Jordan or six. <laughs> he, no, he does. Six, you got to call Adam Silver. He has retired <laughs> the number across the league mm-hmm. in honor of Bill Russell. Right. Uh, I want to get to a couple of things with you because I know uh, you're you're a little bit short on time. Greedy, I've been doing the radio show with Dan for 20 years, and I can safely tell you the only thing, the only thing that I've been consistent about over those 20 years is this is my favorite week on the sports calendar because it's Augusta, it is the Masters, and I know you share a love for this tournament uh, the way I do. And so if you could just... Describe for the audience, because people down here in South Florida, they don't get it. They don't understand why I love this thing so much. Um, Why do you love this week, and why do you love that tournament so much? It's the greatest. It's the worst. I'm about to give you the worst answer, but there just is something magical about it. I mean, there just is something about it that when they say it's a tradition, unlike any other that's a corny line, but it's also true. Um, I, I do think that it has a few things going for it. One of them is the place that it falls on the calendar. And I don't know if this is as significant to you living in South Florida as it is to me who have lived my whole life either in New York or in Chicago, but the coming of spring is a very big deal in Ooh. this part of the world. Yes. Um, because you have probably played a hundred rounds of golf since the last time I played one, because mm-hmm. I have been freezing my tuchus off up here. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you're down there pulling out your jacket when the temperature goes below 60. <laughs> um, so, so th- that I think is part of it. The beauty of the golf course, the history and the tradition, the things that have happened there, the setup of the golf course, the, 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 the way all the other majors, particularly the U.S. Open, has it so wrong. They think that we want to see these guys melting down and falling apart and, and, and making double bogeys on the back nine. No, I want the roar when someone makes a birdie on fifth, excuse me, makes an eagle on 15. And suddenly, instead of being a three-shot difference, it's a one-shot difference. I want to see who's going to hit in the water on 12. Who's going to remember, as I said in 2019, the only year I was ever there covering it was the year Tiger won the freaking thing, was was who's going to remember that you don't win the Masters by making a two on 12. You win the Masters by not making a five. (laughs) That's the single biggest rule on Sunday at the Masters. And, And so... 
all the other tournaments, the majors and, and I guess the players is always on the same course, but it just doesn't have the same feel. The fact that you get it every single year, if, if you pay attention to this, you know every shot. You don't need the announcer to tell you, I love Jim Nance and I love it, but I don't need them to tell me that don't do this here, don't do that here, hit it there, hit it here, that this putt's going to go break this way because I already know because we've all seen it 500 times. Um, the one thing I will say that makes this year different, right before you and I got on the, the, the Zoom here, I was looking at a picture of the Champions Dinner, and which is the, one of my favorite traditions in sports. And for those who are listening and don't know what that is, there was a dinner on the Tuesday night of Masters Week that only the past champions are invited to when they do it in honor of last year's champion. And so this year, that's Scotty Scheffler, and he gets to design the menu. And it is just a freaking awesome tradition. <laughs> um, but it looks different. Like, I look at that picture, and you can't help but your eyes are looking for Mickelson, and they're looking for Garcia, and they're looking for Dustin, and they're looking for Patrick Reed. And they're looking for all of these live guys, um, you know, and many of them are there because they're, you know, those guys, Bubba Watson, are all defending champions. This year's going to have a decidedly different feel. I really think so. And I don't yet know exactly what to expect that to be. I know I don't like it. I hate the divide in the sport. I hate it. Um, I hate it much more than I, let's put it this way. I don't blame those guys for doing what they did particularly guys like Bubba Watson and Sergio Garcia and, and even Phil, who have done all the winning they're going to do on the PGA Tour. Bubba Watson was never going to win another PGA Tour event again. Go someplace where he's going to make a, thousand, a million times more money than he was going to make otherwise with infinitely less pressure to do so. It's very hard for me to criticize a person for doing it. But um, the, 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 the chasm that it has created in the sport, I, I hate it. I mean, it... it kind of hurts me in a deep place right. and i don't know how to expect that to manifest itself this week but i have no doubt that it will mike here's what i would tell you i don't love it as well but i only care about the majors and so i don't care really about the valspar open you know <laughs> like i care about the four majors and i do think bubba won, uh, bubba won it twice i mean dustin johnson has won the thing and i'm glad that augusta and the majors have decided hey you know what if you've won it you're coming back because those guys oh. Yeah, they deserve to be playing there. Oh, I totally agree. I, yeah. I, if, if it sounded like I was saying they shouldn't be allowed right. to play, I don't mean that. Right. I, I, I'm glad they're playing. I, I do like every tournament. I watch every week, though. I'm that idiot who was sitting there watching the Valspar. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, the fields are – it feels so different. The fields are different. All the nasty back and forth between them has been, conf you know – conflicting have you watched any of the live have you no, watched any of none, it no, i mean none I, of it. I haven't paid attention to one second right. of it mm -hmm. i'm the guy who will go out to the country club the the you know the weekend of the club championship and i'll just walk and watch the guys who are playing in the finals uh, I, I, that's how much i love watching golf i haven't watched one second of live if they were playing it in my backyard i would close <laughs> the drape so i might not accidentally <laughs> see some of it um so I, I i will admit there is a part of me Again, I don't begrudge Cam Smith taking the money. I don't begrudge Brooks Kepka taking the money. But all this, and those are the only two that I think, well, maybe Dustin, that have a realistic chance of competing this weekend. Patrick uh, Reed, maybe. And the, who'd you say? Patrick Reed, maybe. Uh, maybe. Okay, yeah. okay. So whoever they are. Right. 
some people are talking about would that would the, would the dream scenario be Rory and Patrick Reed in the final group on Sunday? Maybe that would be in some ways. There's a part of me that wants to see those guys get blitzed. The, right. Those guys have not played real competition. They have not faced the level of pressure that exists or the, 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 the atmosphere, the environment that exists at, at this tournament or any PGA tournament in months and months. I think that has to matter. My gut feeling is those guys are going to struggle like crazy as a result of it. And in some ways, I think that will be the best way of demonstrating that what they're doing on that tour is a, a, I mean, I don't even know what, what could be. It's a money grab, Mike. That's it all is it is. It's a money grab. Step down. Yeah. Well, it's, in, it's inarguably a money grab, regardless yeah. of what it is. But it is also not, it's not a competition on no. a similar level to what they're doing on the PGA Tour. So my issue is not with the Phils and Sergio, as you pointed out, Bubba never going to win again on the PGA Tour. My issue is with Cam Smith and guys, the younger guys who have sacrificed competition, PGA Tour, golf at its highest level for the money. Those guys should still be grinding it out on the PGA Tour. I understand why Phil took it. He's 51 years old. Someone's offered him $200 million. Like, I, he's never going to offer that money, you know, offer that type of money again. And so I understand why. I don't like where the money comes from, of course. You don't either. But I understand why he did it. It's the younger guys that kind of, I don't know, kind of drive me crazy. Uh, what's the best case for you on Sunday? We'll, we'll move away here. I want to ask you about the Jets, and we'll get you out of here. Um but for Sunday, for me, Mike, just because we don't know how many more opportunities they're both going to have, I am still holding out hope. And it's unlikely, but I'll still hold out hope for as long as I can. Give me Phil and Tiger on Monday, on Sunday, and that would be a dream scenario. Well, uh, give me anyone and Tiger on Sunday. I mean, it, True. If, if, you know, people ask, uh, you know, people I walk up to me and be like, hey, does Tiger have a chance this weekend? And the answer is very simple to me. No. But I would have said the same thing four years ago when he won. <laughs> right. <Yes>. So, <laughs> you know, you just don't you just don't put anything past that guy. I think right. it's unimaginably unlikely. I think if he makes the cut, it would be an incredible accomplishment. And I think even under normal circumstances, I'd give him almost no chance. I think the weather is could not work out worse for him. It's going to be cold. It's going to be rainy. He's got a back. He's got a leg. He's got a foot. Look, let's face it. He's got an everything. Um, and, and I do not think the weather favors him. I think 75 and sunny is, is, would have helped Tiger Woods a lot. And, you know, 48 and windy and rain and, and anyone who plays golf knows that kind of bone chilling feeling that you get when it's like that. If you've ever been over to Ireland or, or someplace that that to play, you know, that feeling you get, you got to stand in a hot shower for like 45 minutes to get your body temperature back up after you're done that's the way I think it's going to feel for these guys. And I, I think with Tiger's body and the condition it's in, that does not bode well. Uh, Mike, I want to talk to you about the Jets because I'm I'm disappointed in you. And and here's why. Wow. I enjoy the emotional roller coaster that you took us on. Yeah. I enjoy what your wife did on social media. It was fantastic. Yeah. Here is my issue. Because the guys with my show, they wanted me to celebrate that we got Aaron Rodgers. And I said, hey, we didn't get Aaron Rodgers yet because until he is doing it at the Jets facility with a Jet hat on, holding a press conference for the New York Jets, okay, I am not convinced this thing is done. And because if any organization, Mike, and you should know this and you should have known better, premature celebration, Mike, okay, if any organization could botch this, it is our organization, 
And I feel like they're not going to be able to find Mercedes Lewis or, you know, sign Odell Beckham Jr. And and now here we are with San Francisco jumping into the mix here. And you got guys on get ups telling you the Jets should take Hendon Hooker and you're going nuts. Mike, <laughs> it's not a done deal yet. And yet you're celebrating like we have Aaron Rodgers and we don't. And you know we're capable of messing this up. Yeah, of course. We're capable <laughs> of anything. But look, he, here's the only thing I'll say. The expression in negotiation is always it takes two to tango. We've got three. We've got three doing a two-person tango. The, the Jets want this to happen. The Packers want it to happen. Rodgers wants it to happen. There's, there's no, even for us who have been able to screw up almost everything, I can't figure out the way that's going to happen. Here's, here's what I believe is going to happen. I believe that Rodgers has told the Jets, I'm not coming until May. So hold this thing out until the draft and don't trade that first pick. You need to get an offensive tackle. We need, we need that desperately. And you know that I do the draft, so I can tell you right now, the first nine picks in the draft are basically all going to be quarterbacks and pass rushers. There's one corner that everybody likes who probably will sneak in there. But outside of that, that's what it's going to be. And then there is going to be a run on offensive tackles. There are like six guys. At 13, you are guaranteed to get a first-round graded offensive tackle. And that's what we need more than anything else. Sure. And Rodgers wants it. So I, I genuinely believe that Rodgers has told them, don't trade that pick. Hold out if it takes that. You'll get the tackle. They'll cave. The Packers will trade him before the draft. All Aaron, if they don't trade him before the draft, all Aaron Rodgers has to do is set foot in the facility in Green Bay <laughs> one day when they start their mandatory stuff. And if he gets injured, they are on the hook for $60 million. He could hurt himself in a weight room. So th there's, I think there is no chance... That no, I mean, look, there's never no chance of anything. Thank you. Thank but you. but I feel about as good about this one as you could basically feel about it. I love the idea of him like slipping on a banana peel in the Green Bay Packers facility. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's crazier things have happened, and he's just right. crazy enough to do anything. You're, you're, listen, uh, you're right. One of those tackles, by the way, might be your guy from Northwestern. I mean, <laughs> Peter Skaronsky. I think he will be gone by then, but uh, but he might be there. Uh, and, but there's a bunch of these guys. Ohio State has two tackles, and Oklahoma has a kid everybody likes. And there are a bunch of tackles in this draft. Pick the one you like and take them, and that's exactly what the Jets need. Uh, tell me if you agree with this on the way out here, because this is people compare it to Brett Favre, and this is different. Because, and I'll tell you what, Brett Favre, and I will also maintain that the eight and three or nine and two start, whatever it was with Favre, eight and three. And this speaks to how bad our organization has been, Mike. Since 1982, I've been a fan of theirs, and they've—that's I don't know, 30 some odd years. They've had—they've uh, started 35 different quarterbacks, including a backup uh, punter and Tom Tupa. So I mean, that's how bad and lousy the organization um, uh, uh, has been for the New York Jets. But sneaky, under the radar guy who deserves a lot of credit for this is Joe Douglas because he has put together. You missed on the quarterback but has put together a team that is good enough 
where unlike Brett Favre, who used us as a bridge to get to Minnesota, Aaron Rodgers is one of the all-time greats. And one of the all-time greats is choosing one of the all-time lousy organizations. And this never happens to us. And that's why people like me and you and Mike EA, who is also a Jet fan, is very excited. He gives us hope and he chose us. No one ever chooses us, Mike. No, and 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 it also, I think it could usher in sort of a new feeling because Odell Beckham isn't a person who would have chosen us either, but he will choose to come play with Rodgers. And you just watch in the summer when all these other free agents who haven't found teams yet, names you know, like Leonard Fournette and some of these others, guys who haven't gotten teams and realize they're not going to get the kind of deal they wanted, they're going to say, all right, if I got to go someplace for one year, let me go play with Rodgers and try and win a ring in New York. So he, he, he single-handedly makes us a little bit of a destination and changes the image of the franchise. Now, here's the one thing I will say. I, I thoroughly believe the trade is going to happen. I, I, and I'm excited about it, and I'm hopeful, and I think there's a really good chance it works out great. But people say, Greeny, don't you think there's some chance of this being a catastrophe? Of course. I mean, he is, he is you know, a little out there. Um, right. And weird things can happen, and they always seem to with him. Could I see this going totally sideways? Absolutely. But it is the best roll of the dice that we have at our disposal. So I am a thousand percent behind it. And the one thing I will say as one who is always willing to criticize the Jets for the mistakes I think they make, what I will not criticize them for if this goes sideways was trying it. It's the right thing to do to try. It. So if this goes bad, if he doesn't play well, if we're five and nine and everything is a disappointment, I will be incredibly upset, but I will not blame them for trying. It is the right thing to do. Catastrophe. I mean, have they seen the last four decades? I mean, <laughs> can't get my whole life. I'm older than you. I, I've seen. Yeah. I've, I've seen more than you. The only way that it's been worse for me is that it's just been longer. Right. Exactly right. I'll take big swings if you're the Jets. I got your numbers. The new book. Let me ask you this: If Bra- if if Rogers goes to the Jets, he wears number twelve. He wins a Super Bowl for the Jets. Will you rewrite the book and get Brady the hell out of there? No. That? Here's what I will do. Uh. This coming up Super Bowl is number 58. So if oh, he geez. wins us the Super Bowl, Jack Lambert is out. <laughs> Adios, Jack. Sayonara, Jack Lambert. We are done with that. Get the teeth and get out of here. And, and Rogers gets 58. We're doing a reprint. All right. Got your number. Uh, Greedy and Hembo wrote it together. Uh, go pick it up anywhere they sell books. Uh, Greedy, we appreciate it. How you Listen, I know you've spoken about it. I will ask you, uh, how are you feeling? Everything okay? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm so appreciative. Nice notes I got from you and so many people. What happened with me sounded a lot scarier than it actually was. I I have had for many years now, well, everyone in Miami knows it well because it's what Chris Bosh had. I had atrial fibrillation, which is an arrhythmia, which usually the progress of that disease is that it starts out very manageable with medication, which it was for me for years. And then it progresses to a place where you have to be more aggressive in treating it, which it did. And so I had to have a procedure, which is a very scary sounding one. It's called the cardiac ablation, but it is actually quite common. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we were able to time it. So it came sort of at a good time for me work-wise and whatever else. So I was, you know, I was laid up for about a week and, and I'm still recovering a little. But in a couple more weeks, I should feel better, honestly, than I have in about five years because I should be rid of this arrhythmia completely. So. Um, but everybody was incredibly nice to me, and I, I really appreciate all the notes. 
Uh, that's good. I'm, I'm happy to hear that, Mike. I've got your numbers. The book, get up every day, 8 to 10 on ESPN. And, of course, ESPN Radio, 10 to 12. He's a very busy man. Stop working so hard, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, that, that's the goal, but we'll see. i got to sell a lot of books because I – I've, I've grown accustomed to living a certain way, and I don't want to stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, listen, if you're going to rest, this is a good weekend to do so. you got four great yeah. days ahead of you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, All right guys. Uh, great seeing you, Stu. It's great seeing you, Mike. Uh, good luck. Uh, have Enjoy the Masters, and uh, good luck to us all with Aaron Rodgers. You too. All right, my man. See you soon. All right, nice to have Greeny on. You guys pointed out earlier that I was the MVP of the Andy Roddick interview. Uh, <laughs> simply by not showing up. Uh, Billy, go ahead. Just you, you know what? I deserve to be ripped. You have every right to be upset with me. I'm not upset uh, with you. I'm not going to rip you. I will say that when we interviewed Andy, it was a, a little bit of a stressful time right, right. right before that situation. Oh, yeah. Sorry, man. I'm yeah, sorry. it's well, fine. Why don't you tell the audience why I made it so stressful on you? This is listen, and this is what Mikey A to a lesser extent, although he's dealt with it. Uh, Billy, every day for as long as well, I can remember, has to put up with this. And and by this, I mean me. Well, you agreed to an interview a day that you had a flight and I didn't know that or I wouldn't have agreed to the interview. I would have said, no, Good let's point. just do it another day. And then when I was talking to you, you told me the flight was delayed. But then later in the day, you told me you, you had to change your flight to earlier in the day. So I still don't even know the truth. I just know that you were on an airplane at the time that we had the interview. And somewhat to your credit, you told me like two hours before the interview that mm-hmm. it wasn't uh, going to that you weren't going to be able to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then if we really want to get into the weeds, terrible spot matter. I left you in. I no, know I but, left you in a terrible spot. I deserve all of this. Go ahead. Well, well, no, but then you were like, try, you were offering to reach out to childhood friends of Andy Roddick to have them reschedule the interview, which I was like, they have nothing to do with this. Why yeah, but Marty you? Fish would have done that for me. Marty Fish would not have done that for you. He would have asked you what you're talking about. <laughs> That was the weirdest solution to the problem. It's like, I'll reach out to Marty. He'll help for sure. Marty Fish will help us reschedule me. I, I was trying He'll to talk to out. the subway people. Do you know Marty Fish and Roddick grew up in the same house, right? Like you guys know that. And so, and so, um, what I was you know, really, you was, know, they don't still live in the same house, right? I, I get that. Yes. But what I was trying to convey, okay, to you was that, hey, we can get Andy whenever we want. I'll just wow. ask Marty. Okay. I'll just say, by the way, I have a great idea for a podcast for those two. They're best friends. They're like brothers. Okay. You ready? Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. Fish in the rod. Fish and rod. Wow. Thank you. If they both <laughs> fish, I mean, we are on to something. <laughs> oh, so it's a fishing, <laughs> it's a fishing podcast with them. Or just fish and rod. <laughs> right. Actually, they don't need to fish. I mean, <laughs> it's a good day for a show, right? Yeah, sure. Not terrible. <laughs> so how'd it go with Andy Roddick? <laughs> well, you'll find out. We're going to talk some pickleball. We're going to talk about some pickle sandwiches. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're joined now by Andy Roddick, who's with us on behalf of Subway and, and Pickleball to an extent, Andy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy that, that Subway's allowed me to help promote their, uh, their pickleball club sandwich. It's uh, available April 27th. Uh, we got Black Forest Ham, uh, Double the American Cheese, Hickory Smoked Bacon, Honey Mustard, uh, and of course, thicker, crunchier pickles. Um, all that leading into our event, Get a Play, 
uh, a game in front of an audience that uh, that I started playing two months ago. So we'll see how it goes. Well, okay. So I read a little bit about you and what was described as skepticism in regards to pickleball. And I don't think that you respected the art of pickleball, which has caught on here, I would say, in like the last year or two in like a crazy way where lots of celebrities are buying teams. But it seems like you think that you can kind of just stroll in there and win pickleball tournaments and take home millions of dollars in cash. That's a, that's an exaggeration. Um, <laughs> I, I think... Uh, I think what I said, uh, which I got my, I, I real, I started realizing the cult of pickleball very quickly. Um, I got in trouble on Twitter for saying it's like tennis minus the speed, skill, and learning curve. Um, oh. But, uh, but I, I will be honest. Over the last couple of months, I've, I've really enjoyed, um, I've really enjoyed learning it. Uh, my only question, and I think it's, it's one that hasn't quite been answered yet. Um, as far as a participatory sport, as far as something that is an easier entry into a racket or paddle sport. Uh, it's a 10 out of 10. Um, you can go out. It's, it's, it's way more social. Uh, it's, 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 it's a great game um, to play, to participate in. My only question, um, which, which I'm, I'm getting a little bit uh, hammered for, is, is will it translate to a, to a TV audience um, with, with the professional pickleball players? Uh, and it's one of those weird games where the better you get, the slower it gets, which is uh, counter to, to a, a lot of a lot of sporting events, meaning you get a lot more of the dinks, and you know you're you're basically trying to stay out of trouble uh, a little bit more. So uh, I, I just don't know. Um, and, and and I will say, listen, everything to do with pickleball, I got you know a chance to invest in one of the franchises three years ago, and I was the dummy who didn't do it. So uh, I, I will say I have my opinions, but I've been wrong about everything to do with pickleball for the last three years already. Uh, you'll have to forgive me, Andy. I haven't heard a word you said. I'm staring at those sandwiches uh, as a fat guy. That's basically like I, I can't focus. But has have you had people like telling you, well, you know, I I think I could take you because I'm pretty good on the pickle court. You know, like do you have people that think that it translates one to one from pickleball to tennis and think because they're they're king of their club, they can take on a professional like yourself? No, it's it's kind of been the opposite where I, I think. It's a little intimidating because we're going into this event. Normally when you're, you know, I, I, I know, you know, Johnny Mac's game backwards from watching him. I know, you know, Andre, I guess he was my idol. So I know uh, his game backwards in tennis. Michael Chang apparently is like the sneakiest pickleball player. And he's been playing for three years and plays in tournaments and and stuff. So that's a little bit intimidating. But we just we really don't know what we're in for. So it's this game we're trying to learn uh, on the fly. It probably doesn't help that. Uh, I've, I've talked a bit of smack about it, so I've almost set myself up for failure, but um, it, it's just this, this phenomenon, um, you know, and he, here we are talking about pickleball club sandwiches. It, it really, ha I, I don't know that I've ever seen uh, a participat participatory sport take off uh, the, the way that pickleball has. So, you know, I, I'm as curious to play in this event as, as maybe people are uh, to, to potentially be watching it. Can we talk about the pickleball club sandwich for a second or the pickle club sandwich? That thing is enormous. Is that the actual size of it? Like if I were to go into a subway and I were to order it, that's the size that I would get. Yeah. And we're actually measuring it. Say it's Andy's shoulders. That's the size that, that we want. And I think that fits in uh, right there. But on April 27th, you can certainly go into any subway store, subway.com, subway app and ask for the pickleball club. Um, and I'm assuming it's going to be this big for you. That looks like it weighs like six pounds of meat. <laughs> I mean, it's a risk leaving it in front of me. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, I think by the time we're done with the day, I don't, I don't know that any of these will be be left standing on this table. Are any of the uh, when you've gotten into pickleball now and you're going to be playing in this tournament, 
Do the professional pickleballers accept celebrities and tennis stars such as yourself? Or like, do they kind of like give you like a side eye? Like, what is this guy doing coming onto our turf? And follow up, have there been any that have like gone up to you and you introduce yourself as Andy, assuming they know who you are? And they're like, oh, like, who are you? Because it's like the Babe Ruth or whatever of pickleball. So I, I haven't been around any 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 pro pickleball players. I, I have no real exposure. Mm. Um, if I was them, I'd be extremely annoyed by me. I, I just you know if we're if we're if we're being if we're being honest, you know I've I've kind of yapped a little bit. Um, you know, obviously coming from, but but most of the players have a tennis background also. So there is there there is a little bit of common ground. It's not. Um, as if I'm saying something weird to say, if you come from tennis, you probably are more likely to be able to play pickleball uh, at a decent level. Um, I, I think most of the pros have that background uh, in some way, shape or form. But, um, you know, listen, I, I, I hope that it's a, a high tide, you know, lifts all boats type situation with what we're doing on Sunday. Hopefully there's uh, maybe some new exposure to people that haven't been interested in pickleball so far so hopefully it's a net win but you know i i certainly wouldn't blame um the the, the pickleball community and 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 the pickleball pros the people that actually know how to play the game if they were slightly annoyed by us all right it sounds like you've really come around on this pickleball thing so let me ask you this give me your dream pickleball match your you your partner and your opponents oh gosh that's tough um I would love to see whose games translated, right? I'd love to see Serena play. I'd love to see Roger play. I'd love to see Rafa with these intense spins and the the, the what he's able to create. If you gave him the kind of this dead paddle, how long it would take him to figure it out? They they would figure it out, by the way. Very, but it, it would be fun to kind of see their, their their processes. One of the things that's been really fun for me um, over the last couple of months is kind of reconnecting with Andre where we're now texting on a daily basis and he's sending me, you know, paragraphs of analysis on new shots that he's trying and what's working for him in practice rounds. And he's, you know, one of the most analytical, uh, inarticulate thinkers that we've ever had in tennis. So now to see kind of his obsession, I don't know that, you know, we, we play some, some senior events and stuff and I don't know that any of us uh, care as much about kind of trying to figure out this, this new medium. So it's been fun to kind of, uh, uh, convert, have an excuse to converse with with Andre on a daily basis, and have kind of a, a shared goal. Wait, so Agassi? Events, he's like two years older than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, uh, he, it's, it's it's been fun. He's become quickly obsessed with it. Wait, he's all in on pickleball now, and he's annoying you guys with what he's trying to do to dominate this. Because I would think that like the rest of you are kind of like, yeah, hey, let's just have fun on Sunday, see who wins. But he wants to dominate this thing. He wants to win. Yeah. I mean, there's, huh. he's, 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 he, I mean, texting me what shots win that, you know, it's the third shot. You dink or do you drive? And he's, you know, certain sides that we're going to play. Uh, I'm going from here to meet with him later because we, he wants to get a team practice in uh, before, before we play <laughs> on Sunday. So I don't know much about the preparation that Chang or McEnroe have done, but uh, Agassi is all in. Have you done all any right, preparation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been playing. I, I, I enjoy it. I, I really do enjoy it. I've been kind of leveling up. You know, you start with your buddies, then you try to f find the best game in town. Uh, Andre and I, we were we we happened to kind of be in Los Angeles on the same morning a couple of weeks ago. So we we met up and we heard this is like this high level pickup game where, you know, some really high level players, a couple of pros. So we stroll up and got into a pickle uh, pickup game uh, out there. So that, it, it was pretty fun. It's, it's It's been a fun process. Have you gone back to the team that you turned down and tried to get back in on this now, or it's too late on that? No, I think I think the ship has sailed. I'm a I, I, I'm a dummy. I don't even know that it was a specific team. This was such a 
opaque idea uh, when when I first heard about it. Um, I, I think I probably would have had my ability to pick and choose. And that ship is uh, long, long since sailed, I'm afraid. I mean, I, if I were you, I wouldn't feel too bad about it. Because like prior to Pickleball taking off, like post-pandemic, the only thing I had heard about Pickleball was from this guy we work with named Bruce who lived in a retirement community and told us he played Pickleball <laughs> on Tuesdays and how, how you know, exciting it was and how it was so competitive. And then he had, like, double knee replacement. So I was like, I don't know, Bruce, that this one's going to catch on. Yeah, and that, that was probably uh, my line of thinking as well. And then all of a sudden... Um, you know, you see it on different networks. Um, it, it's it, it's been it's been crazy to watch. But uh, listen, if I if I'm going to tell you my opinions and what I think I'm confident about, I have to tell you where where uh, I, I've been wrong along the way as well. All right. So one more time on the way out, what are you doing with Subway in regards to pickle sandwich? We are talking about the pickleball club uh, available everywhere. April 27th, Black Horse Ham. Uh, American cheese, hickory smoked bacon, new honey mustard, thicker, crunchier pickles, because obviously uh, pickleball club. So um, lots of these before Sunday. I'll tell you that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Good luck Sunday and good luck with the sandwich. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Stugatz here for my friends over at Miller Lite. A lot has changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. It was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one. Miller Lite has more of the taste you want and less of the stuff you don't. What I love to do, what me and my friends do, when we're sitting around, we like to enjoy it with ice-cold Miller Lights. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com stew, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.